Welcome to Coffee with April. What you're about to listen to is the audio recording of our April video content. We're bringing this to you in audio form to make sure you can take it with you wherever you go. For the full video, please visit our YouTube channel, Coffee with April. Thank you. We're back with another episode of Coffee with April. And this time we have a simple Q&A that we want to answer. We get a lot of questions sent to us quite often. And um, this one was pretty interesting. And I know something that most of you are going to be interested in hearing as well. Um, so forgive me if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. But um, Gabriel Tan from Australia, I think working in Melbourne based on Instagram, um, asked two different questions and we're going to do our best to answer them. So the first one is, is the bean rate of rise after first crack important to you and why? I assume that's a visual representation of the bean rate of rise, whether that has a function in our decision of roasting or not. The second question is, what are our thoughts on development time? Uh, how do we decide the length of the development time when we're roasting? Um, there's also kind of intertwined in that question, um, something recurring to, so what would we do with our QC and how would we actually deal with that? So first things first, let's start talking about the rate of rise. So we're talking about a rate of rise. Uh, most people these days are referring to a visual representation of the curve. And, and I would like to argue that there's uh, almost two different rate of rises functioning when you're roasting. One, the one you see on a curve, and you're focusing on most of you at least as, as a linear kind of function, uh, being, being basically declining steady over the, the cost of the roast. Uh, the second one being the actual rate of rise of the coffee inside of the machine, which to be fair, we don't really know, at least not from an inside perspective, right? Uh, so for those of you that don't know, the rate of rise curves comes from the beam probe with the thermocouple, which is basically measuring or supposed to measure the speed of the energy transfer, right? So how, how fast is the energy difference on the roasted coffee? And that's always going to be higher in the beginning and lower in the end. That's just pure physics as coffee gets uh, warmer and warmer and gets closer to the temperature of the environment it's been roasting in, the, uh, it's basically going to be a decrease of temperature difference, right? Um, so is the rate of rise come important? I would say on a single setup, on a singular machine, it could be important. Um, with that in mind, you need to think about a few things. So first of all, one, your bean pro reading or thermocouple reading is gonna be different depending on batch size in your machine. So at April, we rose one batch size, 12 kilo on the 15 kilo loring, which actually gives us a fairly consistent representation um, of the rate of rise uh, on each kind of coffees, which actually make it interesting. However, if you're roasting on different batch sizes, you need to factor in that the air will play a very big function in what the beam probe is actually reading. So if you roast larger batches versus very small batches, or let's say 100% capacity, 50%, and 20%, then your beam probe or thermocouple is gonna read a different ratio of bean and air. Um, so you kinda need to ask yourself how consistent that is. Um, and the same goes for different machines, which I think is important. It, we know, we see, we hear a lot about the discussions of a rate of rise being a, you know, some kind of universal visual representation where we want it to start high and go low and this perfectly smooth line. And that's interesting, but, but in reality, which I think makes this really fun, is that depending on which probe you have, depending on the thermocouple, that line will look very, very different. So for example, a 
a perfectly smooth declining um, curve on a probe at, let's say you put in a loring probe in that same machine and you do that same um, transfer in terms of energy settings or air settings depending on what kind of setup you have, then the rate of rise will look completely different. Right, um, and we're, we're still thinking that uh, some kind of universal rule, which, which I, to be fair, do not agree with. Um, I think most importantly, what we realized here is that roasting a coffee where the rate of rice looks perfectly declining is very easy. Um, is that the tastiest version of that coffee though? No, we find again and again and again that we, according to our preference, are finding tastier versions of that coffee uh, that is roasted from a visual perspective with the rate of rice are not perfectly declining. Uh, now that should be said, rate of rice is always declining within the roast. Uh, that's just how the heat transfer is actually working, right? So as the coffee gets closer in temperature to the material or the environment, then the, there will be a decrease of energy transfer, whether you want to or not, whether you're increasing uh, burner settings or not. And I think that's pretty important to understand. Now, more specifically, after first crack, what's happening for a lot of people, not all, not all people, uh, the rate of rise is kind of plummeting down for some coffees, for example, for other people's, uh, for other coffees it doesn't, right? And the thing is that when you go through crack, you basically build up an internal pressure in the bean and it's a tiny little bit of an explosion. And that explosion is releasing basically stuff that is colder than the beans, which is more or less cooling down the bean probe. Uh, and that is causing this measurement to look very different. Now, even if the measurement is different, it doesn't mean that the heat transfer is, is actually changing that much. So whether that is an interesting representation or not, that can be discussed, right? So it really depends on how much pressure have you built into the coffee before crack, right? If you build in very low pressure, it's not gonna plummet that much. If you build up high pressure, the reaction of the crack will be more intense and it's gonna plummet more, right? Um, so understand that it's just a function of the amount of pressure you go into to crack with, right? Um, that being said, I mean, from a roasting perspective, it's up to, to all of us to kind of find our style and figure out what, where we want to be. Uh, I think the most important thing here with the rate of rise after crack is, um, you know, understand what is actually happening. Then if you still want to have this perfectly decline from, from top to low, then, you know, go for it. But at least understand why it's behaving the way that it does, and then you can make a decision on it. I can say what we actually do is we work with the crack rate of rise, meaning where the rate of rise is when we go into crack as an important kind of tool together with the end rate of rise, meaning how, what is the lowest rate of rise in a roast. And that actually gives some indications depending on coffee um, and, and depending on style of coffee and taste and vibrancy and so on that we're not gonna go into now. Uh, it's a bit more complex and it's a much longer video, but that's an interesting feature that we are looking into. Um, so long story short, do we care visually how the rate of rice looks? Um, well, not before we taste the coffee, right? Uh, and again, I, I don't see a clear parallel where a perfectly declining rate of rice um, after first crack would generate a tastier coffee than something that doesn't. And in our business, we're looking for tasty coffee. Second question, um, how do you find or decide how long development time you want for your coffee? Interesting question, difficult question to some degree as well. Um, 
I should say, and we've said before in all these videos, that we basically roast a filter profile, one espresso profile, and what we refer to as, as milk espresso profile. And the main difference here is gonna be um, uh, development time to some degree that is gonna change in between the different profiles. Um, so we, we first start by generalizing or categorizing on a bigger scale. So is this filter espresso uh, or something else? And then within the filter profiles and within the espresso profiles, we also have changes, which it's depending on the coffee, depending on what we're roasting and, and, and not roasting. Um, it's hard to generalize, it's hard to go into actual specifics here, but basically what's happening is that once you go into caramelization, which happens before crack and then you push into crack, then different coffees have a different sugar contents and that sugar content is gonna be able to deal with a longer or a shorter time after crack. So you're gonna to get to a point where your sugars are gonna start deteriorating, right? Uh, and you want to keep as many sugars in the coffee as possible to make it sweeter. Now the challenge here is that the sugar content and how the sugar behaves differs based on coffee. So we need to actually go in and look at the sugar content of each individual coffee to be able to tell that. Now in reality, in terms of roasting, that becomes a lot of trials and error where we're trying to kind of measure and figure out taste-wise where we're ending up and where we can be. And basically the, the idea is to be able to have as long development time as possible while still keeping the coffee clean, transparent, and vibrant and, and with a juicy texture. Um, the reality is that a lot of things are actually going on after first crack and, and quite often the time and what you do there is, is actually gonna be deciding whether this coffee is gonna end up being tasty or not tasty. Um, so as a reference, we have again, guidelines for filter coffees in terms of time after crack, guidelines in terms of espressos, uh, and that's what we're generalizing and st started doing. And then we have some coffees on the, the filter side that basically goes closer to an espresso profile uh, in terms of what's happening after first crack, uh, just because the coffee can take it without actually developing any negative characters. Um, example of those coffees could be, for example, Colombian coffee. So Colombian coffees in general, we extend after first crack, not necessarily higher end temperature, but it takes more time for most of them to actually get the same color spectrum as we can get, for example, with an Ethiopian coffee with a lot less time. Um, moving on, so how should I do my QC? Well, we're not necessarily in the business of telling anyone how to do their QC. Um, what we can do is we can tell you how we do our QC. So uh, QC here is focusing on, well, Q QC with April has been a process and, and changed since the beginning as well. Uh, beginning being pretty hardcore, working a lot with colors, working a lot of with measurements. Um, to today being uh, mainly taste-based, which some measurements included as well, but we're focusing on the taste quality of the coffee, um, linking in that very much into brewing as well, right? So cupping is just a part of the evaluation. And we actually spend a lot of time uh, focusing on, on brewing the final product as we, you know, the, the more we learn, the more we understand that the brewing aspect of the coffee is very, very important. Um, meaning that a coffee that, that tastes in one way on a cupping table might actually taste amazing if you just know how to tweak it and brew it. So it depends a bit on what you're looking for there as a roasters. I, I like to consider us as, as a company that is focusing on the full range. So green coffee roasting and brewing. Um, and I believe that that makes us better from a roasting perspective as well. 
Um, but I can say with uh, like a few tips and tricks, if you're working with different uh, types of color tracking, keep in mind the color actually changes from uh, day after roast. So the color of the same batch one day after or just after or 10 days after will be different. So you need to have one specific day to measure that color. Um, that's important. Taste-wise, what we do is that we, um, we taste our coffees basically seven days after roast. That's when we do a proper evaluation of them in terms of taste. Obviously, we do an evaluation based on, on how the curve is looking or behaving on the roast day. Um, we spend a lot of time thinking and, and tricking with the coffee before we actually put it out in production as well, which is important. Um, and I think that's the kind of central thing of, of what we do. We use crops to cup for everything, whether we do manual brews or whether we do cuppings. It's amazing to just be able to store all of that data directly into your profiles. Um, especially now as the team at April is growing, it helps us calibrate and helps us understand what is working for us and not working. And you know, what one person think about this coffee versus the other person. And that's been really, really helpful. Um, I think that's about it for now. A pretty you know, quick answer, but if you have any more questions on this graph, we'll just uh, send us another email, shoot a comment down here. The same goes for all of you as well. Uh, we're always happy to do these kind of Q&A and, and answer whatever questions you guys might have, uh, whether that's green coffee roasting and, and, and brewing. Um, as always, thank you guys for, for tuning in and any comments down here, always happy when you guys share. Thank you. From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.